Welcome to Every Dimension. This podcast is created for those buying and selling design. Our aim is to explore how to demand more from design and how to deliver it. As we all need to keep growing brands, when tomorrow's challenges and opportunities come in every dimension. Every Dimension is created by the agency Path and hosted by me, a founder, Thomas Herman. Welcome to another edition of Every Dimension, Demand More From Design. This time, we are joined by Steve Honor. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, good to have you. Um, Pleasure, pleasure. Steve is Head of Design for Single Malts at Diageo. And before his 15 years in drinks, he's held design management roles at agencies and retailers too. So um, before we hear a bit more about um, uh, you, Steve, and how you got there. I've got a few warm-up questions, sort of either or. You, you kind of up for those? Let's do it. Let's do it. Good, good, good. Right. So, first one: coffee or tea? Coffee. Easy. Nice. Mm. Cheese. Cheese or mm. chocolate? <laughs> I think I'd have to go for cheese. Good man. I'm a cheese man. Uh, beer or whiskey? Whiskey. I think that's probably the most obvious answer of it all. Yeah, though. occupational hazard or pleasure. Halaskar um, in particular. Nice. And that would be my three choices. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, mountains or beach? Beach. Football or golf? Oh, football. Oh, football. Nice. I, have, nice. I have two sons. The eldest is at academy playing football. Yeah. yeah. And the young. Two and a half. He looks like he's possibly going to be a goalkeeper, not a footballer. So yeah, nice, nice, nice. But you're a golfer too. I do play golf badly, <laughs> like us all. <laughs> very little time to play now, but yeah, I mean, like I still like to get out in the summer. I think I've become a fair weather golfer. Yeah, yeah, okay. Are you a and are you a pencil and paper kind of person or a tablet and pen? <sighs> I would probably be pencil and paper including a rubber nice 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 doesn't need a battery good stuff all right well thanks for that nicely warmed up nicely warmed up um so yeah we always like to start the conversation uh with our guests to kind of understand you know how they really started out sort of professionally um can we go back um as far as we can to your to your very first job could you tell us about that please yeah uh so my very first job was not in design actually it was on a YTS scheme, which they used to do years ago, which hints to my age. Uh, I think it was £30 a week or £30 a month at the time. Uh, as being a mechanic, that was really it. Um, but I suppose what's more significant is there was a point in my time when I hit about 1920 where I realised that um, I wanted to go back and get an education. So I went back to study my GCSEs at a very late age. Um, then I went on to do an access course, which was an access to university course, equivalent of like AS levels. Then I went on to do a degree. Uh, yeah, yeah, fantastic. So, so yeah, from that, from that YTS scheme, um, went back to your studies. Um, and did you study, what did you study? Okay, so I studied writing and publishing media and cultural studies with philosophy at Middlesex University. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Shall I expand on that a little bit for you? Yeah, yeah, go on. And then just and then maybe how that rolled into where you are now. 
So it is quite significant uh, because I wanted to be a writer. So um, this is why I chose writing and publishing. I've always had a real insight into culture, uh, which is why I, told, why I chose the cultural studies as well. And philosophy was always a, a real sort of love of mine, philosophical questions, et cetera, et cetera, which I also feel really relates to design as well. Um, year one of my degree, I found out that I was dyslexic. Oh. So the... Uh, there was a bit of a shift um and then what actually happened is i studied a, an area called semiotics so the yep. science of science mm -hmm. uh, and it was the first time that i was like what and people really don't grasp this image music text and their relationship together mm -hmm. uh, then we done a project it was a project for time out of which i done extremely well the semiotics were on point by nature so that sort of developed that I finished the degree, but actually what I seeked was opportunities working in design and working with images over language or text as such. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Amazing. So um, I think we'll probably come on to that conversation a bit later about, um, you know, uh, the dyslexia in the creative industries. But um, it's interesting to kind of understand that, that yeah, that, that, you were, that you were inspired by a, a writing career but then at some point you discovered dyslexia and that was that was that um to do with your writing how how did you discover that it was literally look i, I think the the fact that my writing was so incoherent yeah um, I, I was explained it's called stream of consciousness yeah. so my thoughts were faster than i could get them down on paper yeah actually tallies quite well because i think in images not words so yeah. actually I'm easier when words relate to an image. So, um, yeah, it was just a, a discovery. And then you sort of like, you go for a low where you're like, oh, my God, I've got dyslexia. Yeah. Then what you start to do is you start to understand the power of it and where mm -hmm. you can draw from it rather than a negative. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sort of like how it all come about. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I didn't have a design degree. So I started looking for work where I started to work with design or artwork handling, et cetera. When I come out of university, mm -hmm. I was never going to find the direct route into design because I didn't have a design degree. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but I knew that I had the creative ability, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. something that spurred me on. Okay. Yeah. And so what were the steps into the, to the role you are in now? Uh, I worked for a part of the daily mirror group. Yep. Looking management etc advertising mainly then i left there then i went to work for a subsidiary of ford running a design studio um because I, the way i could talk about the design sort of negated the fact that i didn't have a design degree because i yeah. have a very, very good understanding of the role of design and the role of design culture and to the consumers yeah. then uh, when i left there by chance i took a i went as a freelance designer for a bit mm -hmm. like my work was all right, but I was like, I, mean, I was actually quite poor at taking the criticism, which is really quite part of my role now, actually, is critiquing design. So uh, yeah. then um, I took an opportunity with a design agency called Thames McGurk based in Mayfair to uh, look after a client, which was Tesco's at the time, yeah. um, which was very close to me, which then led on to me meeting the head of design of Tesco's, who was Jeremy Lindley, who about the maternity cover turned into like a four-year job. He then went from Tesco's to Diageo two years later. The Jeremy Lilly, who was once my client, then become my boss because I went to work for him, which was mm. really good. I really respected his view of design, and I think yep. he really understood 
my view coming from a semiotics point of view on design. Yeah, amazing. So I ended up at Diageo. Yeah, fantastic. And that and that uh, that's uh, that relationship is 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 grown in over the last fifteen years or so. Yeah, and I, I think if I look back in hindsight, it, it was one I took the opportunity to take maternity cover because I saw it as an opportunity. Yeah. Two, I took the opportunity to build relationships, yeah. like way in that environment. Mm-hmm. So it was twofold, really. I think looking back, I'm so pleased that I said yes to the opportunity. Yeah, you seem like a nice guy, Steve. Good at good at good at making friends and talking to people. You try, right? Look, he's a <laughs> great design based on great relationships. Yeah, which will- yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, great. That sort of segues into my next question, which is your kind of a, a, approach to design, or do you have a particular definition of design or a kind of philosophy? So, um, in my role, in particular. So, I mean, I think we have to separate the two. My how my house is designed is not necessarily how my packs are designed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my house is there for just me and my boys. Yeah. Uh, my packs are there to appeal to the consumers. Yeah. And also, I make the decisions in my house, but I don't necessarily make all the decisions when I'm working with agencies. Yeah. So I think, first of all, the, the recognition goes to the agency relationship. So um there, there's a famous quote, the, the client gets the work they deserve, right? Yeah. I firmly believe that. Now, I've been agency side and now I'm client side, so I've seen both sides now. Um, we are very fortunate with the agencies we have. We're very fortunate with the talent available. But actually what makes us even more fortunate is the relationships we're able to forge with our agencies mm-hmm. because I do believe that being able to have the tough, honest conversations at the time you need to have them, but then celebrating the success at the time you can celebrate the success is really what gets you to great design. Design should be about challenging the expectations, okay, Um, and challenging many things and trying to change things. So it's a complicated system. Um, And it's what I call a beautiful mess. Yeah. So when things aren't going right, I don't panic because I don't expect them to always go right. I believe we have to go through the stage of a beautiful mess to get to the end of the world. I see, yeah, it's sort of holding your nerve that, yeah, this looks like it's going a bit kind of crazy, but actually that's part of the process and it will it will come back. Yeah, and like, you know, I suppose part of my mantra would be every good brief has a tension. Mm-hmm. If there's no tension in the brief, there's probably not a brief or a good brief at that. Yeah, so yeah. Tension in every brief. Right, great. So, so your role is is um, head of single malts at Diageo. Can you briefly kind of explain what's involved in that? Yeah. So, um, basically, I oversee the branding and the, the leadership for the branding, how the branding turns up, the pack design, the brand worlds, and how that all comes to form together. So, yeah. uh, the way is look, tone, and feel. Yeah. So, I'm responsible for looking at the look, tone, and feel. So, um, how we appear in front of the consumer how the consumer interacts with our brand how the consumer recognize our brand mm-hmm. then we build in the semiotic code so recognition is easier and then the premiumization of our brands so mm-hmm. to deliver the premiumization that our brands deserve um because actually in single malt design and premiumization to all our brands premiumization is key mm-hmm. um, and then on top of that we have to understand the cultural significance of each consumer for each brand Uh, and we have to appeal globally so there's a lot of semiotics that needs to be drawn on to understand that be it type be it color be it foils be it finishes be it shape 
which um, we're very lucky to have people in role like myself across Diageo and also our agencies and our research agencies, mm. our sourcing agencies that bring to all this information to us. And then I try to digest that. Yeah. And, and, and how many brands might you be, might you be managing um, at one time? Oh, at any one time. Brands or projects is, is a, so let's say for example, project wise at the moment, I've probably got about 12 projects on at the moment. Yeah. And some would be classed as big and some would be classed as small, yeah. depending on that. And you, you generally focus on the ones that need your most need most attention, most time yeah. and most especially yeah. why we deliver luxury to our consumer. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, I think you've alluded to this. My next question is, you know, you've got a great track record of delivering design. Um, you know, what is your secret? You mentioned sort of agency partnerships. Is that's um, seems to be a, a, a big part of it. Is there is there anything else? Yeah, I, I think there's quite a few things actually. The agency partnership, I'll always I'll always hero the agency partnership. Yeah. Okay. Um, then on top of that, I'll also hero my business and the way that the, my business embraces design. Yeah. So actually, we have design at the core uh, for a, a business, and it's actually really beneficial to the brands um the support and trust that i get and i feel within the business is actually really very good because i feel with design and as i alluded to the beautiful mess actually you need a level of support and trust to be able to do your best work yeah um and then my job is to spot the ideas that the agency bring so actually probably just the ability to spot the idea sometimes it might not be the the route that everyone gravitates to but there might be a nugget of an idea there that can go from pack to digital to interactive and and that's what we look for mm. a great design is a, a a great piece of design is where there's a great design idea mm-hmm. look for the design idea yeah uh, and also i think in my particular role i have to take out my own preferences as a yeah. like I have to say at my preferences and take into account my the consumers for the brand, which are key yeah. um, because we deliver products to the, the consumers and that's not just me. Mm-hmm. So it's been all myself away from what I might like as a design aesthetic to what I understand that my consumers should be receiving or deserve or are looking for within their brands that they buy. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And you mentioned that sort of Diageo leads by design and it's a, you know, it's a design centric business. Is Do you think that's something that you're, that Jeremy and yourself have, have had to build or do you think that's always been within the business that you kind of joined? I, I think their acknowledgement that they first they recruited Jeremy, then they established a design team was, yeah. was very significant. Yeah. And I think over years now that the roles have developed into where they are, because to where they started, like, well, mm-hmm. it must have been 17 Jeremy 15 years ago for me from mm. where they started to where they've developed now actually the role of design has a much more of a leadership role within the business mm. yeah which fantastic. yeah fantastic um and you mentioned your your agency relationships it sounds like it's something that you you guys really foster and you kind of try and you know build build a relationship with the agencies and and get to sort of understand each other is is that is that the case is it to use a football analogy, are you kind of trying to do you sort of find young stars and kind of and kind of build with them, or um, you know, do you, do you kind of scout for agencies in the, in the same way and then kind of hire them? Yeah, so I, I think there's like a baseline of agencies that have been with us for many years. Yeah. Let's 
say a lot of one agency has a relationship of nearly 18, 20 years. Yeah. Agency relationship is like 15 years. Another real agency 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 relationship is about eight years. So that they're, they're long-term relationships. Um, and how do we find them? We find them because uh, a lot of it is we we're we're out and we're observing the industry. We're observing who's doing the work. We observe all the brands, not necessarily just within our industry and brands of all industries from all industries that we like the work. We then reach out to the agencies if we're not already working with them. Um, and then I think what the agencies do remarkably well. I mean, your football analogy is good. We we also quite use. I think it's more because I like Marvel, like the superhero, like um they're able to bring in they have such a a pool of skilled designers strategists etc that they're able to bring in the right people for the team Mm. for the right projects and they're able to interchange between that and i think actually that in itself so it is a powerful tool uh, um the access of design because actually the more cultural influences you can get and the more people with different diverse backgrounds into design and into the project helps the project overall yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that, actually. We have conversations, you know, at our agency about, you know, what it is we do. And obviously we we provide a service to clients, um, you know, but at the same time, we're kind of a, a safe space or an, a, a, an inspiring um, space for talent. You know, it's a place where you want to foster talent, find good talent, you know, make a place for the for them to do their best and, and, and you know, them to be there and available all the time so that when um, someone like Diageo phones up, you've got access to those people on point all the time and, and you yeah. know, it's really important. And I think also, like, I'm extremely proud to work on the brands I work on. So, like, and I've worked on all the brands, Guinness, Smirnoff, Captain, because I used to do, I've done innovation for a lot of the time with Diageo. Yeah. And yeah, is we're we're able to like transfer that onto our agencies, and they become really proud, and they almost that they become a hero of our brand itself. And it's really it's quite a beautiful thing to watch, actually, when they're as passionate about our brands as we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives great work. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks for that. Um, the last time um, the last time we bumped into into each other, Steve, was at a pa- packaging conference when you were presenting um, about you know your current approach, and I. Th- it was really interesting because you said, you know, um, times have changed. Uh, you know, you, you used to spend your time, you know, designing, um, you know, um, uh, brands, making them more beautiful, more, uh, more, um, more premium, um, you know, more desirable. Um, and but you got so good at that, you know, the new challenge of, of, des- of now that you've got of design wasting, designing waste out, sorry, has kind of um, really sparked, you know, your passion. And you kind of spoke about how you approach that. Um, can you, can yeah, you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. Like, it's a subject really close to my heart. So, like, you have to stop me. Um, and the reason why I chose to talk about it and the packaging innovation is because I'm also really proud of how our business is approaching it. Yeah. So, design waste out. It was a concept that I worked on during lockdown. It was a challenge that was given to me from the business. And it was, if you used to come at sustainability from a design first perspective, yeah. how would you approach it? Yeah. Which I think, really interesting approach so um we coined the phrase design waste out uh, which was basically instead of looking at the the very start of the brief look at where the product ends up so where is its point of neglect right so where is it where does it become obsolete and then actually start to design backwards so um which has been really interesting and now 
I actually think it's an even it's an even greater challenge for luxury codes, for beauty, for great design. So I find it really inspiring. I don't feel like it's going to undo any of the things that we've done before with beauty. I just think it's a new challenge of design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what we did with so with Design Waste Art in particular, we looked at obviously, as I said, like the end end of life. Okay, so um, and then what we did was we took this concept of design waste out and we went to a, an agency called Pentatonic because we know that we've got to keep reaching out to help develop our thinking. And this was just like a, a very, uh, like a, a step into actually if we applied design waste out. So we worked, started to work with Pentatonic um, and Pentatonic helped us deliver eight fundamentals, actually, mm-hmm. which is because or to what, what we're working on for the design waste out concept um, and how we achieve that and how we're working, especially in design and with our agencies. So, like, I can quickly briefly touch on them. They're extremely in-depth, but I'll give you an insight into the eight, actually. So like, the fundamentals, as I mentioned, like, was start at the end. So actually, if you start at the end, what does that give you on the inception? And then less is more. So I know we've often said less is more in the design aesthetic, but actually less is more. Actually, can you start to reduce completely what you're doing? But can you still, and where we say less is more, we also mean but you can give more beauty or you can give more luxury. So you take stuff away, but you give more back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got onto material, materiality. So like master your materials, which I found really quite inspiring. There is materials available that I wasn't even aware of. Um, calcium carbonate and stuff like that which i've not really come across and we've not really ever considered and we haven't challenged our agencies to consider it um and then my favorite one that i've been applying most easily is mono materials so if you only take one material you only use one material and it's extremely difficult right it really is extremely difficult because you have all different constraints however by applying the idea of if you aim for one material you may get to three, whereas previously you may have used seven or eight, right? So it's a really beautiful challenge and it's really benefiting our brands. Um, and then there was uh, explore bio and compostable materials, okay? So which linking really very well, so across the materiality. And we're that's something that we're looking at and we're exploring and you'll see brands such as Seedlip have used different like mushroom casing, etc. So we're working through that and there's more to come and like out of interest if you look at brands like johnny walker and talisker over the next few months you're going to see some really exciting things where we're applying this um and then there's the area of construct so make it modular now modular is a really nice one that's been linked in with the aim for mono materials so if you can't get to one material but you have to use two make it modular so you can recycle that material you can separate that material that way, then what you don't do is you don't like contaminate the stream for the sustainability, the sustainable stream. So that's been really interesting. And I think those two work quite well together as a as an initial step to trying to create change. And then digitalize everything. So digital is like a really big thing for us, but also actually running everything that we're doing through digital system that actually maps where we could be making improvements has been really interesting there's some brands that we're working on and we've applied it to at the moment where it's reduced 60 percent of the size that it previously was but we've kept all the luxury codes that we had previously um, and then of course make it evergreen so actually if you are going to start using these products like um different products if you're going to extract sea plastics you are going to do that try to make it evergreen or give it a longer life cycle 
So they're the, they're the eight pillars that we're working from. Um, and look, you know, honestly, they may go from eight to 10 or eight to four, right? But at the moment, they're working really well and they're giving us a real push. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, no, it was great to hear, hear those. And um, I think it's um, it, it's inspiring to have constraints on a brief isn't it often when you have those kind of uh, points to follow like you said you know aiming for one material you know really helps you kind of um you know have a north star in terms of what you're going for and i think that um that interest in materials is something that we uh, run at path and we've got a little um database called matlab where we kind of try and update um materials and kind of uh, share new stuff so it's always a good resource and i think when i <clears throat> heard you speak that idea of digitizing everything was was really important too because we there's so much insight and, and data that you know you can get from tech that you know you might not see uh, as a human and they can kind of help you you know help you make those um significant reductions so yeah it was good yeah i mean i think i, I said on the day packaging's going through its biggest change in 100 years yeah right? yeah, yeah. It's an exciting change like yeah. it's a very exciting change yeah um, so yeah, I mean, and we're all going to learn as we go because it's, it's that's what it is. And some we, we we may fail, and some will get unexpected success, right? Mm. And we have to embrace both with the same amount of joy, mm. because actually, when we fail, we learn, and when we get the success, we learn. So we're on a curve. We're on a curvature of extreme learning across yeah. the way we're doing packaging and the way we're designing packaging from the outset. Now, yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks for letting us know about that, Steve. Um, the kind of next set of questions uh, we like to ask is, is around um, kind of our worldview. You know, at Path, we design better experiences and expression to grow brands. But it's it's all about kind of tackling um, the world's challenges and opportunities. You know, they, they come in many dimensions. Um, and often we have a conversation about uh sustainability or or design kind of values or or kind of um uh challenges challenges and constraints from the market um but but i know when we've spoken previously if i was to you know ask you about biggest challenges um uh, and opportunities for our industry and sort of how design um might help us in those areas um you know we, we touched on your experience with you know diversity and inclusion of 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 um of creatives you know your experience with dyslexia and the kind of um the kind of benefits that it's kind of given you a different approach do you feel like that's that's something that that is a is a, a sort of challenging opportunity for the industry and something we could talk about i mean like, it's been challenging for me yeah like, like, dyslexia and i i suppose i'm becoming more and more aware of it actually yeah. Um, it's been challenging for me and probably quite challenging for some people who have had to read my emails, <laughs> which uh, as time went on, I sort of done less and less emails. I've done more face-to-face. -face. Yeah. So I had to adjust and adapt and possibly, if in some respects, possibly that's helped me with some success in design because I've had to adapt to more face. I, I email, et cetera, that wasn't really the way I worked because mm. it's not, I convey yeah. so more face to face, more in situ, more groups and etc. Has really been the way that I've developed my work, yeah. so that I can get the best out of me yeah. and overcome any miscommunication. Because the one thing, if you ever get an email from me, 
probably have to read it two to three times. Mm -hmm. yeah. I still wouldn't have seen the mistakes I've made. Yeah, yeah. So that's a challenge. I mean, you were very good when I heard you speak. You were very good at kind of holding your hands up and saying, look, you know, uh, I'm dyslexic. I'm going to make mistakes. You know, uh, you know, don't point them out. I've, I've heard them all before. I've made all the, you know, made all those mistakes before. I, I mean, you obviously got that confidence now, but has it taken you a while to, to build that confidence and, and say that kind of stuff out loud? But, you know, for anyone listening that might feel um, they're in the same position, you know, what's, what's helped you kind of get to that point? well like i'm trying not to be too deep because i want people to enjoy the podcast but yeah. so when i discovered i was dyslexic obviously it was quite of a shock because i wanted to be a writer first of all. yeah yeah second to that i went through a real big low of like am i like thick mm. like it was that that was the hardest battle and then i suppose sometimes when i started to step into the design industry and I was surrounded by everyone that had design degrees, et cetera. And, and I really only knew about their degrees. I felt like almost like imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. like just blagging this. Um, and then I suppose with the support and belief, one from Diageo, two from a boss, and then three from achieving an extremely good track record of delivering iconic brands, mm -hmm. design changing iconic brands, redesigning iconic brands. Um, so you begin to believe that your instinct, which is really my instinct is helped by my dyslexia, is, and people use the word a superpower, like in some respects a superpower. But ironically, the talk that I'd done about design waste out, that was the first time I'd put it in a slide uh, yeah. and openly said, like I'm dyslexic, there's going to be grammar mistakes, there's going to be spelling mm. mistakes. Um, and it was probably, it's probably had the most profound impact and change mm -hmm. of the slide on all the talk, all the talks I've done. And now <clears throat> I think I'm on more like of a surge of like, actually, you know what? I've undervalued it as a one, as a, as a let's call it a superpower. And I've undervalued the role of dyslexia within the creative community because mm. there's or high percentage of dyslexia within a creative community. Yeah. Um, and now I'm like, actually, I think we should start to change the perceptions of dyslexia from from senior school age and going forward. We should start to do that. And I now feel that I'm in a positive position. I'll be supported by my business while I try to do that. And I can get to the right people to have the right conversations. So, yeah, it's be come on that's probably become if you ask me what mantra is now yeah is to change the perceptions of dyslexia be more open about it start to get fonts embedded in our macs and in our windows that are more yeah. suitable for dyslexia do you know what i mean and like actually talk to people about the ways that i've adapted my work yeah to suit my ability or to best suit my skill set which is actually face-to-face -face in person rather yeah. than emails long-winded that make no sense yeah it's all resonating with me uh steve i was uh i got a, a dyslexia diagnosis while i was at art college as well and i think you know for so many years of kind of sort of yeah you, you kind of uh, just trying to deal with it but actually you being upfront about it has kind of given me confidence to be upfront about it and and, and um you know and it's it's, it's been great uh, I, I think um I'm, I'm aware that diageo has you know a strong kind of um uh um presence when they talk about diversity equity and inclusion do you think that's been a big part of giving you confidence or do you think all businesses uh, you know are talking like this nowadays 
So I um I think what's been uh, yeah I do firstly like Diageo uh, and the diversity equity equality inclusion yeah what they do is inspiring mm. first. um and I also feel that because what is highlighted in that it, it, there's been a highlight that actually the industry as a whole the design industry lacks lacks diversity yeah. So, um, and I was also, I mean, very lucky and very privileged that Diageo took upon a sponsorship of DNA D Shift, um, which has been nice. We, we, I mentored one year and we've been now, we've just agreed to do DNA D Shift for the third year, which is actually giving access to design to people that wouldn't generally normally have access to it. Okay. Um, what this has also enabled me to do is to talk to them because I am pretty sure that when they walk into Diageo, they would assume that I am that I followed the exact channel that they've never had access to. Um, so what it's actually meant to for us to demonstrate actually how Diageo is already embracing certain diversities. I'm telling people that actually I didn't come through the design channels. I didn't come the way, um, which has then enabled me to talk about that and then talk about dyslexia and talk about different elements. So I think that actually the way that we're embracing the platform and the way that we're embracing shift has enabled us to demonstrate internally to the external people that actually this is something that we live and we, we, we thrive by and we want to increase and encourage. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so could you explain a little bit about what DNA D shift is and, and perhaps where the kind of, where you might be seeing the candidates coming from? Yeah, well, the, so we do a DNA D shift in uh, London and the US. Mm-hmm. So um, it's for candidates that are creative by nature, but haven't had access for a number of different reasons. And yeah. I'm going to the reasons because each candidate is separate, but they haven't had access. So DNA D, they do a system where they they advertise for candidates to apply. Um, and then what? happens is uh, currently it's been Diageo, Adidas, and Google that have been three of the sponsors. And then there's been other sponsors and so forth. Then what it enabled, enabled us to do is give them live briefs and live challenges. Yeah. From a Diageo perspective, I'm, I'm talking about the briefs we give them. Um, for them and then we don't give them we don't say that you have to produce this this or this okay we say this is the challenge this is a live challenge right so it could be with zero zero it could be with captain morgan um come back to us with how you would execute the brief mm. then through that what happens is they get immersed in the brand they get coaching they get mentoring from all the brands involved and diageo as well um culminates in a, an end of end of process where they present to us and the brand teams um we often select a winner from the team and then what we do is we work we work collaboratively with dnad by bringing in our agencies and our rosters etc to watch the pitches and then what we try to do is support and get in the candidates employed within the businesses in or around that work with diageo so we try to give them as much exposure as we can DNAD have got an extremely high rate of success so far with this. Um, and it's a privilege to be part of it, to watch them grow, to watch them learn. Um, and actually, so like they're so good. Yeah. They're so good that like you stand there, you stand there in awe of them more and thinking, how are the how 
is it that an industry is missing such talent mm -hmm. and such diversity? Yeah, so yeah. we can have a role in changing that then. Fantastic. And, and and how do the candidates and the talent sort of find the program? Is that is that something that's advertised or they, they sort yeah, of recommend it? I mean, DNAD have their own way of finding the program. Yeah. We yeah. Uh, even mention it now. We just keep promoting DNAD yeah. shit the program. There's many programs that they run. And I'm yeah. very sure there'll be many more programs that start to pop up yeah. um, because of the success. And actually the creative output that we're getting is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, the more people we get enrolled, the more impact we have on changing the diversity within the design industry. Yeah, 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 fantastic. Um, going back to something you said earlier on in our sort of introduction, um, you know, you you, you said you you were studying, you know, to be a writer, and then you you know you, you um you discovered that your you know your approach to semiotics and semantics was you know um really strong and and almost intuitive, and you, and you you were surprised that you know others didn't find it as easy as you um it, it, is that is was that the kind of case is that how you felt at the time yeah i was yeah, a bit yeah. like i was a bit like i felt like i was explaining it to people that were far smarter than me mm. yeah. but it wasn't about them being smarter it's just their brain didn't work in that way and my brain did yeah yeah, yeah. you know and perhaps that's so I'm automatically assuming that they're smart that they're smarter than me and they should understand it. Whereas actually it was I should have I wish I'd understood that actually my brain just works differently, which is why I'm yeah. grasping quicker because to me every word is an image. And when the word doesn't fit an image, I struggle with the word. Right. Yeah. So then if the image is there to convey as a like an encoder or a decoder, I totally understand why. Yeah. So yeah, it was uh insightful yeah brilliant and i think that's a really useful thing to hear expressed by someone like you as well because often we talk to our um, younger designers you know trying to encourage them and empower them um you know in the process of being a designer and when they turn up and, and talk to clients you know to 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 be confident in in the ability that they've got and, and what they are essentially selling to the to the client you know they they often do have innate talents that the client doesn't have and and to understand what your talents are and and to be confident that actually you're you're explaining this and you're naturally understanding these images and semiotics um and, and that's that's your value and your superpower isn't it yeah you you, yeah. you kind of you kind of feel this while other people have to think about it and kind of compute it you kind of feel this naturally yeah and i think that's really i like that. the word feel like i remember i've done a presentation it's like uh descartes said i think therefore i am mm. You might have been quite wrong because it might be that I feel therefore I am, yeah. which was something that Bruce Lee used to talk about. Yeah. But then yeah. if you get both of those together and you go, I think therefore I am and I feel therefore I am, then you're probably quite right because thinking yeah. and feeling are connected, heavily yeah. connected. Sometimes you have to think before you think and I possibly feel before I think. Yeah. I think that's, again, a conversation we have about, you know, there's, there's lots of talented people that run a business and, you know, um, we and and many businesses promote having design designers and design in the leadership team and you kind of think well wh what is it you know what is it that the design team brings to that to that level of conversation you know we're all we're all, we're all um intelligent professionals um what is it that the the design um team can do better than the ceo or the finance person or the cmo and and um or differently to the to those people and and um yeah we often talk about it being you know that natural empathy to kind of understand other humans and kind of connect perhaps the perhaps less 
less um, inhibitions to, to kind of speak your mind and kind of share your thoughts, you know, and kind of actually say what you see. And then, as you pointed out, you know, that kind of ability to feel how things communicate, you know, not just to think about how they communicate. You actually, it just, just feels right. That feels right. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to work for, for our target consumer. I think, you know, I think like, look, I'll see a tile, I'll see its shape, then its colour, then its texture, yeah. and then components, and then basically I want to understand how it feels in hand, et cetera, et cetera. Now, all those are codes that we put into our packs, okay? Yeah. When it's in how does it feel? How does the label feel? What sound does it make? Do you know what I mean? What weight is it? These are all yeah. codes that we build in, and actually the creative people see beyond the, the first few, right? Mm. The second, yeah. the fifth year, yeah. and that's that's what's interesting, and that's the detail and the craft that goes into design that helps deliver for consumers. Yeah, fantastic. Well, great to talk to you about that. We are um, uh, time is ticking, so I'll, I'll get to the uh, the last part of our conversation. But um, yeah, thanks for that. Great, great kind of um, uh, knowledge to share and, and kind of insight for for people, young people, anyone that you know kind of feels like they you know, thinking differently outside the sort of normal academic circles, you know, um, yeah, the, the creative industries of often, you know, embrace um, talent of all sorts. So um, check out, um, check out what you can check out um, DNA D shift and, and so forth. So good stuff. Brilliant. Well, um, we like to close the conversation, Steve, by um, one big, bold question. Um, and then a couple of like uh, references to maybe, um, uh your um your what you're listening to to and your motto and mantra which i think you've you've already spoken about but um the podcast is called um uh every dimension demand more from design um so we like to ask people you know if you could literally demand design answered any problem you know anything is possible um what would you what would you demand um and what would the question be deliver me net zero Every single product that lands on every single shelf, deliver me net zero. It's such a big challenge. I think that's the, but I think it's such an inspiring challenge. I think it like, we have to look at this as such a positive move and a positive challenge. So the big thing now is deliver me net zero. Fantastic. Yeah, it kind of gives you it gives you something to get up every day and think. Yeah, you know, I know what I'm. I know what I'm about today. You know, I was doing that yesterday, but now I've got to do that and do it with a net zero target. Yeah, fantastic, brilliant. Okay, um, you said uh, you said earlier that your kind of um, uh, motto or mantra could be um, you know about um, uh, you know being more diverse in the way you you look at uh, creatives and creativity. Is is that is that um, is that what you'd like to to stick as your motto? Or is there anything else that comes to mind? Best piece of advice or, or kind of um, uh, mantra? Ooh, yeah, I mean, I, I was I I done a I done a presentation with Shift and I asked him about the most inspiring quotes. Yeah, um, because it's quite an interesting because it helps form a lot of our mantras. There's some really inspiring quotes. My most inspiring quote was when I was doing an access course, trying to get into university, and my history teacher said to me, you'll never get far in life with your accent. Um, and actually, that's probably been my mantra. 
don't tell me how far I'll get. Yeah. I'll dictate. I'll dictate how far I get. And, and like, see everything as an opportunity. Like as yeah. I mentioned, like I took an opportunity, and opportunity led to bigger things. Yeah. Um, and generally, like especially in the design industry, like build relationships, talk, talk, share, like. And then my real mantra is just be nice. Yeah. Because yeah. actually being nice is really just a really nice thing to do. And yeah. uh, the nicer we are, the better the results. Yeah. I suppose, which is like quite, might be quite dull, but like, just be nice. No, it's good to, it's good. It's uh, nice to be important, but important to be nice, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, last question, uh, uh, Steve. Um, in terms of kind of things that you might recommend to our listeners to to watch or do, or what what um, what might you um, what might you say? Are you listening to anything? Are you watching anything? Have you been you you you've, you've been to South by Southwest? Um, you know what what kind of things might you uh, recommend from from there or well, other places? I've tried to listen to the keynotes from. Rizza, and I've tried to listen to the keynotes from Killer Mike if you can. Yeah. Uh, Killer Mike's just inspiring, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Actually, he done a documentary on Netflix, which was good. But if you can watch Killer Mike talk, yeah, he's really very good. Uh, Rizza was interesting when he spoke about he had two choices: what to do with the ten thousand dollars, and with the ten thousand dollars, he created the Wu Tang Limited Company. Yeah. He talks about how much that $10,000 has gone on to benefit so many people, be it the, the music and the music they've made, which I really love because I think of brands like Guinness, like mm. what Guinness has created, not just as a brand, but as a legacy and as like an, uh, as an employment, et cetera, for people like the brands have created a massive legacy. It's just not in the brand as well. Right. Yeah. People. Um, so I'd probably go and listen to them at the moment because they're the ones I've sort of left with like, okay. I'm liking what I'm hearing. Fantastic. And that was at the South by Southwest event. Yeah. South by Southwest event, yeah, in Austin. Mm -hmm. Which if yeah. anyone can go, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I think it's like a, a real culture download, like yeah. music, tech, uh, music, tech, you know. Um, really, really very good. Really good keynotes, really good talks. There's some great talks, some yeah. phenomenal talks. So you can to listen. Brilliant. We'll we'll try and find those uh, and put links in the show notes um, afterwards. Well, great, Steve. Um, our time is our time is up, I'm afraid. But that's been fantastic to talk to you. Covered a lot of ground. Um, some really inspirational kind of advice there, and, and and great to kind of understand, you know, how how you got to where you are. Um, it's been it's been great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much for inviting me. Much really appreciated it. I've really enjoyed it as well. Thanks very much. You have been listening to Every Dimension, brought to you by PATH. Join in the conversation on LinkedIn using the hashtag Every Dimension or on Instagram at WeArePath. For more information on how we design brands better in every dimension, please visit wearepath.com forward slash every dimension. Here you'll find all our other podcasts, and 20 years of experience helping brands diagnose opportunities and challenges, then designing identity, experience and innovation to deliver on them.
This podcast is created and produced by Path. If you have enjoyed this podcast, why not leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes? Thank you.